Welcome to the Sons of Sam Horn podcast. I am Damian Dyden, your host, sitting alongside, well, no one. I am cold and alone in the vast, unforgiving void of the internet. But the show must go on because, well, what the hell else am I going to do with my Saturday mornings? So let's get into it. We'll start off with a look at the Red Sox week. They opened the week by allowing the Baltimore Orioles to complete a sweep, and that was that was ugly. Uh, set off some alarm bells. Not what you want to see this late in the season from a team that you're hoping is going to win the division and go deep into the playoffs. But they responded pretty well by going out and sweeping the Toronto Blue Jays, and it was a, a fairly compelling sweep. They have since split the first two games with the New York Yankees, and they have two more this weekend, so this is the last time they are meeting this year. It's a four-game series. And the final game, we'll see Chris Sale up against Luis Severino. This is uh, this is exactly how Major League Baseball would have scripted the this series to be. The Red Sox and the Yankees are, are duking it out for the division. The Yankees need to win the series in order to keep the division alive. The final game of that series has the team's two aces going head-to-head, uh, it's going to be a great game, but even before that, we have Pomerantz up against Masahiro Tanaka today, which should be a good matchup as well. Uh, it's It's been a great series so far, with the Yankees taking the first game, and of course last night, Doug Fister having another good start, comes out and gives the Red Sox a chance to win. They scored four runs, including another home run by Andrew Benintendi, and he's got 19 home runs, 18 stolen bases, and a 110 WRC plus on the season. He's having a very good year. If... If Aaron Judge had not had Aaron Judge's first half, we'd probably be talking about a very tight race uh, for for Rookie of the Year this year. Unfortunately, Aaron Judge basically put himself in the MVP discussion with just half a season with how good he was in the first half. So I don't think he's going to catch him, even though Judge has been super cold. That being said, Benintendi has really taken it to the Yankees this year. He's got an 824 OPS against them, and he's got five home runs. Five home runs against the Yankees this year. That's that's impressive. That is really fun to see. It looks like he's he's going to be a Yankee killer. And, I mean, he's popular enough as it is. If he's going to continue this, it's just going to make him that much more popular with the fan base. Uh, his numbers against the Yankees are the best he's got against any division rival. So he's picking his targets well. Anyway, uh, that series will wrap up t- uh, tomorrow. And we're looking forward to seeing that. In the meantime, there's been some some trade activity, uh, the the waiver deadline, and you know there's the non-waiver deadline, which is unrestricted trades, and then there's the waiver deadline, which is the end of August, and teams have to pass players through waivers before they can trade them to other teams, and other teams have the chance to claim these players and prevent them from getting all the way through the waiver process, and potentially block trades or try to work out trades for themselves. So it's a little bit more compl- uh, complicated than the the non-waiver trade deadline. That said. There have been some big trades, and the Angels picked up Justin Upton, and perhaps more interesting and more dramatic, the Houston Astros picked up Justin Verlander, who literally at the last second uh, agreed to the trade going through. I mean, it was like 11.59 on August 31st, and it looked like it was dead, and it just it, it popped through at the very last second. This is an interesting trade because you look at it by name value, and you're like, ooh, Verlander, last year's runner-up for the Cy Young, add, added to the Houston Astros, who have the best record in the American League. Uh, this is a big deal. I wrote a piece for SonsOfSamHorn.com that argues it might not be, and there, you know, there's some, some numbers that might make Houston fans a little less excited after they look deeper. The first is that Justin Verlander's FIP of 4.04 is the sixth best 
of starters on that roster. Now, Brad Peacock is one of them, and his is suppressed by his time in the bullpen, where he's been excellent. But even still, there's an argument to be made that, that Verlander's not one of the top four pitchers on, in that rotation. And when you're going to the playoffs, you're only bringing four guys into your rotation. The rest of it's going to be bullpen. You know, the thing with Verlander is he's declining. I mean, he's getting older, and his his I mean, his arm is wearing down. You can see it in his release point as it drops. Generally speaking, shoulders, they they get sore. I mean, throwing overhand is not natural. It'll wear down any shoulder given enough time. And so typically as pitchers get older, their their release points drop. And Verlanders has been doing that uh, consistently for the last few years. And it changes the, the angle that the pitches come out of your hand at, and that changes the way pitches move. And it seems like he's seeing a lot less effectiveness from his off-speed pitches as his arm slot drops lower and lower. He has been able to bring the fastball velocity back up. As the discomfort is lessened by bringing that arm slot down, you can throw harder. And so the fastball velocity is as high as it's been since 2011. But, you know, he's seeing a lot of hard contact at 35.2%. That's the highest it's been since 2007 when it was at 32%. And, uh, you know, you're looking at line drive rate of 24.4%, which is uh, the highest of his career. So he's given up harder contact and... He's also walking more people than he's he's walked uh, at any point in his career at 3.51. So it seems like he's overthrowing. He's throwing harder to compensate for the fact that he's not getting as much uh, as, as good a results out of his out of his breaking pitches, and that's not really a good thing. I mean, you know, his uh, the isolated power that he's giving up from his off speed pitches has gone up. The last two years, it's been 216 and 214 for his changeup. His curve has gone from. Uh, 0.95 yet uh, last year to 219 to 2.219 this year and from 0.79 to 1.64 this year on the curveball so you know the, they're hitting his off-speed pitches harder uh, the fastball is more effective but he's kind of morphing into a fastball only guy and I don't know how well that's going to play in the postseason now one of the first comments I got when I posted this was uh was that since early July, he's been very good with a 2.31 ERA. And so I looked a little closer, and it, looking at his, his July starts, he had a bad one in on, on, on the 2nd, on July 2nd. And, you know, he gave up uh, seven earned runs and three, three and a third innings started. Since then, if we pull that out and we give him the benefit of that, we say, okay, he turned a corner after that start. Since then... His BABIP is only 227, and he's got a 365 FIP and a 357 XFIP. So that 2.31 ERA is is certainly being impacted by good luck and maybe some good defense. Uh, it's not representative of what he's done. His his line drive rate has actually gone up to 25.4%. His walk rate has dropped to 2.4, which is which is a good improvement because that 3.51 overall in the season is is really rough. Uh, but yeah, he's he's still giving up hard contact. He's it's at thirty one percent, and uh, you know with that line drive rate at twenty five point four percent, I just I wouldn't hold my breath that he is suddenly Cy Young caliber again. I don't think he is, and I still think there's an argument that you know, the the Astros have at least three, maybe four pitchers who are better than him on their roster right now. You know, Dallas Keuchel, Colin McHugh, Charlie Morton, Lance McCullers. I mean, they're they're all 
worth considering starting ahead of, of Verlander. So this is an interesting trade, but I don't think it changes Houston's odds of winning in the postseason by all that much. The other trade was Justin Upton uh, going to the Angels, who I, I don't get how the Angels are good. I just, I don't. Uh, I mean, they've got the best player in baseball in Mike Trout. And Angelton Simmons is having a fine year, where he's about 13% better than league average at the bat, and he's a phenomenal defender at short, so he's a very, very good player. Uh, Upton probably slots in as the second best hitter on the team, and probably the third best player overall. After that, the offense isn't that interesting. I mean, you're looking at CJ Cron at a 6% better than league average, uh, Yunel Escobar and Eric Young both around league average. I mean, these, uh, Cole Calhoun's a little below league average, so. They also picked up Brandon Phillips, who fits in in that group uh, pr- pretty well. He's a little bit bully, below league average, maybe league average as a hitter. Adds some depth, uh, helps, you know, helps him get Danny Espinosa off the field a little more, who's been pretty bad. Uh, he's got a, yeah, I mean, he's got a 37 WRC plus this year. So, you know, uh, the, their, their offense is, I mean, it's being propped up by the best player in baseball. And you add Justin Upton to that, and yes, okay, now you've got a decent one-two punch in the middle of that lineup, and Simmons can get on base in front of them, so they'll score some runs that way. But uh, the pitching has been pretty terrible. You know, you're, you're looking at a team that has, you know, by war, and again, war, you know, war's not a great stat for really digging in, but as a quick top-down look, uh, it'll give us a general idea. They've only got two pitchers who you can argue are, are around league average, and that's you know, Yusmero Petit and, and Blake Parker, neither one of it, which is a starter. Uh, th- this has been a really bad pitching team, and I just I, I can't wrap my head around how they're in the playoff race, but they are, and Upton's going to help them with that, and, and Phillips to a lesser degree. So this is a good pickup. This is a very good pickup for the Angels. Upton has an opt-out that he can exercise, but if not, he's under control for three more seasons, I believe. So the Angels could potentially convince him to stick around and be part of part of the roster for a few years, which would be good for them. And any team with Mike Trout, of course, is going to have a chance to win on any given night. And, you know, thinking about Trout and uh, looking at Clayton Kershaw coming back and having a very solid start in his first night back, uh, six innings pitch, seven strikeouts, no one runs. And I got to wince a little bit because... I have a fantasy baseball team. Quick fantasy baseball note. I had a fantasy baseball, or have a fantasy baseball team in one of my leagues where I traded away both Mike Trout and Clayton Kershaw, who were both forever keepers, because I was in first place at the time of their injuries and was going for it. And, uh, yeah, that that that's that makes me wince. That, that, that hurts a little bit. Um, they're both back. They're both playing really well, and I probably would have weathered the storm okay and still been a playoff team had I not made those moves. So, um, just a quick note for you fantasy players out there. Have a little patience. Don't be dumb like I am. Anyway, um, you know, mentioning the Angels in the wild card race, I thought it might make sense to take a quick look at that wild card race after last night. And uh, it is, man, it is fascinating. It is a giant mess. Uh, you've got the three division leaders right now, Boston, Cleveland, and Houston, and then the next two teams in the playoffs, if the season ended today, are the Yankees and the Twins. The Yankees uh, are one up on the Twins for the first wild card spot. The Twins are one and a half up on Baltimore for the second wild card spot. The Angels are tied with Baltimore there. After that, at three games out, you have Tampa and Texas, and then behind them are Seattle and Kansas City at three and a half, uh, three and a half back. Uh, 
Toronto is 8.5 back, so they're probably fully out of it at this point. But that leaves only four teams in the American League who are not within reach of a playoff spot. Like this new wild card system, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of people were doubting it, a lot of people were were questioning it, but I've really come around and I like it. Uh, it's uh, we're entering September, and we've got four teams that are, are, are out of it. That's it in the American League. Everyone else has a legitimate shot. That's good for baseball. That's really good for baseball. And on top of that, it makes the division important. It makes it matter. You know, winning the division means not being in that one-game play-in, and that's hugely valuable. You don't want your playoff, uh, you don't want your playoff run to hinge on one good night. When you have a five-game series or a seven-game series, yes, a hot team is probably going to be a team that's not hot. But at least in a five or a seven game series, you've got some time for for random luck to even out a little bit and not have one bad outing by a pitcher or one super good night from an opposing hitter end your end your year. Uh, so the division matters. More teams are in it. Uh, this is just man, is it fun to watch? And I mean, look, the, the Yankees are going. Uh, we talked about this on Sports and Sorts a bit uh, the other night. The Yankees are, are going to be facing a bunch of these wildcard teams down the stretch. The Red Sox are going to be facing a bunch of division opponents down the stretch. This this September is is going to be so much fun to watch. And you know the, the Red Sox currently up five and a half on the Yankees are are looking to put them away in the next two nights. But even if the Yankees lose the next two nights and say fall behind Baltimore or LA, they're still going to be you know half game or so, maybe a game out. They're, I mean, they're they're still alive. They're they're you know they they can they can lose this series against the Red Sox and still have a really good shot of playing postseason baseball. Um, you, know, you you look at the teams in the mix, and it's honestly it's not that surprising that four teams from the AL East are are in that playoff mix right now. This is a really good division. It's been really tough. Uh, you know, I think the Red Sox obviously have the third best record in the. Um, in the American League right now, uh, were they playing in the Central or the, the West? They, they might have a couple more wins. It's uh, Divisional play really does skew the standings a bit, and you know, the, the, the quality of the AL East this year is really tough to match. I do have to say, you know, Baltimore has really turned their season around. They were looking like they were, were, were completely toast about a month ago. And the fact that they are just one and a half out of the second wild card right now, they're leading that pack that's chasing the Twins. Uh, that that's an impressive run. And, um, and so the fact that they were able to sweep the Red Sox recently, uh, in retrospect, is probably not that surprising. They they've been really hot. Uh, still still stings a bit. Still not happy about that happening. But you know what are you gonna do? Hot team is a hot team. Moving back into the Red Sox. Uh, it, I want to stop and take a look at Christian Vasquez. And uh, the big question with him has always been, how much is he going to hit? And there there have been lots of discussions about, you know, if he can be a 650 OPS hitter with that glove, he's a, he's a net positive player, blah, blah, blah. He's a league average hitter this year. He's got a 97 WRC+. Plus. Let that sink in for a second. Christian Vasquez is a league average hitter. He's got a 294 batting average with a 337 OBP. He's he's a good hitter. And you know, you look at the defensive metrics and they don't show him as being better than Sandy Leon, but you know, defensive metrics with catchers are really hard to trust. Um they're 
they're not designed with catchers in mind. Just like, you know, first base uh, numbers are, are tough to swallow because they don't build in everything that a first baseman does to contribute. Same thing with catchers. And what Vasquez does well is something that is going to be more qualitative than quantitative in nature in that he handles the pitching staff really well. The, the pitchers really trust him. He calls a great game. And on top of that, you know, he's really good at framing and... Uh, you know, Leon is, is as well. So, I mean, it's not like there's a, there's a big difference there. And of course you've got the best pitcher on the staff, Chris Sale, who prefers to throw the Sandy Leon, but you know, Vasquez is still a very good defensive catcher. If, if what we're seeing this year out of him as a hitter is what he is, you know, going forward, uh, the, the catching position is, is in good shape. I mean, this is, you know, this has been one of the big questions long-term, you know, you're looking at this window that the, the Red Sox are faced with and, the catcher has kind of been assumed to be a black hole, but you know Vasquez at, at a league average bat um, that that changes the calculus that that really does, and uh, it's it's worth pointing out that he's having a really solid year at the plate, and that's that's really good for the Red Sox. And speaking of big solid years at the plate, Rafael Devers' uh, overall numbers still look pretty impressive. His total season line right now is uh, two eighty eight, three fifty five, five twenty eight for the slugging with eight home runs, three stolen bases. 17 runs batted in and 21 runs over 33 games. That's a 128 WRC plus as a 20-year-old. That is incredibly impressive. Of course, when we break it down, a big deal was made of him hitting eight home runs in his first 20 games. So we're going to use that as the first chunk of the sample and then the following 13 games as the next chunk. When you look at those first 20 games through through August 19th, his uh, slash line was 364, 424, 727. That 727 is his slugging, not his OPS. That's with eight home runs, two stolen bases, 16 RBIs, and 17 runs scored for a 198 WRC+. So I think you can see where this is going. Since then, his slash line is 167, 245, 208, with no home runs, one stolen base, one run driven in, and four runs scored. That's a 13 WRC+. Plus. And just to you know, reiterate, WRC Plus is a percentage uh, against league average where 100 is league average, above is better than league average, below is worse than league average. So a 13 WRC Plus is 87% worse than league average. He has been really bad in the last uh, 13 games. But he's 20 years old. This is what happens to young young sluggers. They come up, pitchers experiment for a bit, they figure out where the holes are, and then they attack. And it's up to the hitters to make adjustments. And I think he's going to make adjustments. I think he's. I still think he's going to be a stud. Uh, I'm really, really excited about this kid long term. But he's 20 years old, and the pitchers have found a hole. Uh, you, you look at his zone profile, and overall, he's seen more pitches low and away than anywhere else. And by percentages, he's swinging and missing uh, the most up high. But by raw swings and misses, it's actually uh, low, and particularly low in a way that he's he's swinging and missing the most. When we look at the successes he's had, most of his line drives have been hit on pitches middle and middle in. His slugging and isolated power are coming on pitches middle and middle out. And that jives with the opposite field home runs that he was hitting early on. Uh, he does have a couple hard hit balls on the low inside corner as well, but it's only a, a handful because he's only been pitched there a few times. But this correlates well with his home run production. His, his home runs have mostly come on pitches in those areas. And uh, so, you know, that's where we're seeing the power show up. When we look at his baseball savant page, you know, his spray charts are showing that he's still spraying the ball all over the field, especially when he goes to the outfield. It's just, it's all all across the field. It's, it's really nice to see. 
Taking a closer look at where the power is coming from, uh, they're able to break it down by pitch types, and you know, he's hitting his, his high slugging percentages are against different kinds of fastballs, four-seam, two-seam, and the cutter. He's doing all right. He's got decent, you know, kind of middle-of-the-road slugging percentages against soft-breaking pitches. It's the hard stuff that he's having trouble with. Yeah, we'll take a look at his slugging against sliders, and it's at 211, which is which is very low, as opposed to, say, his fastball. His four-seam fastball slugging percentage is 758. Um, his two-seamer is 471. You look at the cutter, it's at 800. Uh, so, yeah, so that slider is coming in at 211. Uh, you can also look at the splitter at 333 as another example of kind of a hard-breaking pitch that he has trouble with. So, you know, pitches that are, are mostly effective when they're kept down and thrown fairly hard for breaking pitches are, are what he's struggling with. And, uh, you know, anecdotally, like recently, it looks like he's he's swinging and missing at a lot of pitches dropping down and hitting the dirt. So that seems to be where they're attacking him right now. I think he'll make the adjustment. I'm not too worried about him. But... He's struggling right now, and hopefully the struggles only last for a, you know a short while longer, so that he can get back on a on a roll for the late season and the playoffs. But you know it's possible that he won't figure it out this year, and if he doesn't, that's okay. You know he's he's 20 years old, and the fact that he's had as much success as he's had at that age is it's tremendously encouraging. So I'm still very high on on Rafael Devers. I think all of you should be too. That brings us to the, and I say us because I'm used to saying us, that brings me to the prospect check-in for the week. And we're going to look at Josh Acme and Roldani Baldwin. And since the last time we talked about Acme, he's been promoted to uh, double to A, and I, that was kind of a surprise to most people. But in 29 games, he's off to a pretty good start. He's got a, a 123 WRC+. Plus. Uh, his, his walk rates dropped from 15.5% in Salem down to... 13.4% in Portland, uh, and the strikeout rate has gone up from 25.9% to 28.6%, but, you know, it's not terribly surprising. That's generally how those things work. You move up a level, the walk rate drops a little bit, the strikeout rate comes up a little bit. Uh, the isolated power has stayed pretty consistent. It was at 163 in Salem. It's at 167 in uh, Portland. He's got three home runs so far over 29 games. He's also got seven doubles. So, you know, he's hit the ball with a little bit of authority there, which is nice to see. He does have a 371 BABIP, but again, he's hitting the, whole, the, the ball pretty hard, uh, which, which generally speaking will keep the BABIP up. He's got a 27.7% line drive rate in Portland so far. Uh, so if he can keep that up, then that, that BABIP won't drop too far from where it currently sits. Looking at his game log, he has an eight-game hitting streak right now, uh, so he's definitely been hot recently, and in that, that hitting streak, he does have one home run and one, two, three, four doubles, so um, he's he's definitely he's definitely seeing the ball well right now. Uh, this is something that the Red Sox really were hoping to see out of him for, you know, for this season. He's been kind of a on-the-verge prospect, and, you know, as a first baseman, he's really got to have that bat carrying him, so he needs to keep keep up with the production. Uh, he finished Salem with a 132 WRC plus at 32% better than league average. And if he can keep his WRC plus in Portland in the 120-125 range for the year, and the, the minor league season is basically over, so it shouldn't drop much even if he does go on a, on a brief cold spell. Uh, yeah, that that's a, that's a good season. That's the kind of season you really needed to see out of him. And, um, you know, the Red Sox have a hole at first base. They, they, they need to fill first base. And right now, Sam Travis is, is asking, you know, is creating lots of questions about himself. 
So the team is looking in other directions. Michael Chavis is taking some reps at first. Uh, Acme, of course, uh, gets the promotion to Double A, so he'll probably spend all of next year in Double A. Maybe late in the year he'll get a promotion to Triple A, unless he starts absolutely mashing. Um, I'm not sure that he's the kind of hitter that's going to explode the way that Chavis did. Uh, but you know he had a good season, and and this is you know this is encouraging. Gives them another option to think about long term for first base, so they don't have to tie up someone like Moreland or do to long term. And you know those those guys are solid hitters, but I don't think you want to tie them up for three, four, five years, especially the the, the money that free agents are going to command. You want I mean the Red Sox are pretty tight with salary right now, and they really don't want to be adding free agent contracts where they don't have to. So uh, we're we're pulling for. We're pulling for all the first base prospects in the system right now, so I'm hoping that somebody can kind of stand up and take the job. We're also taking a look at Roldani Baldwin this week, the 21-year-old catcher who is in Greenville. He's in Greenville for his second season, and he has uh, played 93 games there this year. He's been there all year. He's still hitting the ball pretty well. He's got a 128 WRC plus, and it's not being driven by a, by a, a high OBP. He's only got a 4.9% walk rate. Uh, it's a solid slugging percentage at 492 with an isolated power of 217. And you know, this this would be a really nice complement to Christian Vasquez long term. Uh, if Baldwin can continue being what he looks like he is right now. And that's a guy who can, you know, hit in the 250 to 275 range with a slugging percentage somewhere in the 475 to 500 range. You, that gives you an offensive catcher to mix with your kind of batting average driven, excellent defensive catcher uh, at the major league level. So, I mean, granted, he's in Greenville. He's a long way off. You know, you're talking, you know, at at 21 years old and with Salem Portland and Pawtucket, between him and the majors, you know, this is obviously a long way off, but he's an interesting prospect, and, you know, three, four years from now, we may see him in the mix to, you know, to be that compliment to Christian Vasquez, who, if, if Vasquez is what he's looking like this year, I think they are going to try and lock him up long-term, uh, you know, keep him behind the plate as long as possible, because having that excellent defense with a decent bat is, it's, it's a luxury, you know, it's tough finding good hitting catchers at the major league level. Um, so, you know, Vasquez looking like the future. Blake Swihart actually got called up uh, as, a, as a September call-up, and he's he's had a really bad year. You know, at this point, I don't think he's in anyone's plans. Uh, he's got to kind of hit the reset button and figure some things out and, and force himself back into the picture. Uh, so, you know, you can't really count on him being much of anything until he goes out and changes something. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm thinking... It's it's Christian Vasquez's job to lose, and uh, you know the next best prospect in the system, unfortunately, is a little ways off. But it's it's Rodani Baldwin, and he's been fun to watch. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he does next year, and um, you know we'll have to keep an eye on him. And that brings us to the end of our show. It is a short episode, as it is a, a solo episode. I'm going to see if I can find a nice co-host to come in and guest host for next week, perhaps. As always, uh, we thank you for listening. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at ddyden. That's D-D-Y-D-Y-N. You can find Sons of Sam Horn at Soch Baseball. That's S-O-S-H Baseball. You can find the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, any podcast app you may have access to. You can find our fan page at facebook.com forward slash socialcast, S-O-S-H-C-A-S-T. And you can email the show at socialcast at gmail.com. We will take your questions, read them on the air, and respond uh, as best we can. Hopefully when I check in with you next week, I'll be able to say that the Red Sox finished off this Yankees series with 
uh, two wins and put the Yankees in the rearview mirror for good. In the meantime, I wish everyone a pleasant rest of the week, and we will see you next time.